Hello, this is Jason Polk, and welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. And we hope you enjoy this, and we also hope you enjoy this hippie music that's being played right now. Thanks. Episode two of Untoxicated. Today we're gonna hear your story, Jason, and I am super excited about that. I of course know your story, but I'm excited to hear you talk about it and, and be a part of it. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, well thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Let's let's start at the beginning. And for me that's kind of an open-ended question to you. What what is the beginning of what ended up being your story of addiction and, and recovery? Where, where would you start? Yeah, well, thanks. And that is a good question. And I also think it's a good exercise of reflection. And so I can trace my story back of addiction to, I remember it was the summer between my sixth or no, my seventh and eighth grade year. And I remember thinking that, my gosh, next year is going to be middle school. However, I don't feel well-equipped enough. Um, I I had this fear that fundamentally there is something wrong with me, and I'm not going to be cool enough to be with the cool people. And so it's kind of almost this feeling of, of lack, this feeling of being uncomfortable in my own skin, and this feeling of not being good enough. And I remember having that thought very vividly. (laughs) It was kind of almost my realization of suffering, I think. That, again, there's something wrong with me. And so I feel like that was the start because that never went away until well after high school and well after my using stopped was that feeling has always been with me. And if someone was to ask about my childhood, I would say it's a great childhood. I had everything provided. We had, I had a car when I was 16. I went to a private Catholic high school. So financially, we were well off. However, we weren't an emotionally rich family. For example, I remember one so one example growing up was, I remember I was really upset, and my dad knew I was angry as well. And he said, you know, Jason, why don't you just go to sleep? You'll feel better the next day. Which, from his perspective, he wasn't doing anything wrong, but it kind of shed light on what he thought about what relationships were, was that we don't share emotions. Instead of sitting down and saying, hey, Jason, let's, let's talk about this. You know, what upset you? His response was, go to sleep, you'll feel better the next day. (laughs) Which, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, it's pretty common parenting jargon, if you ask me. Yeah, I I sure heard that, I'm sure. When I was a kid, I don't remember it vividly, but I'm sure I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it it wasn't like a a, a big T traumas I experienced, but it was kind of a, a landscape where we had a lot of alone time, and we didn't share in emotions. And so 
I went to high school. I was very shy and awkward. And I remember my sophomore year, I finally got invited to a party. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't cool enough freshman year, but sophomore year, I finally got invited to a party. And I remember being drunk for the first time. And that was the, the game changer. It was, wow, finally, I feel comfortable in my own skin. And I was thinking, this is why so many people do this. This feels great. Yeah. And basically, from there, it was an every weekend thing. Up until, as I was thinking about my story, up until I was 20. What happened when you were 20? Did it? Yeah. Did, so, did your usage change more or less at that point? Well, when I was 20... I sort of hit rock bottom in regards to my drinking and my using, and I went on a, a Zen meditation retreat for a weekend. <laughs> so the only week I didn't use was the, because the weekend I was away from my friends and the drinking and all that. But I remember during the retreat I had the thought of, wow, I can't remember the last time I've been sober for a weekend. You know, I remember feeling so good after being drunk. How did you how did you end up on a Zen weekend retreat though? Like yeah. how do you go from being just a regular high school guy doing your thing to mm -hmm. or how how did that become part of your life? Yeah, so it was after college or after my, my first year of college, and I would say this: if there's one good things that drugs have done, it would be taking hallucinogens and having a spiritual experience to some degree and knowing that there's something bigger out there than our day-to-day -day monotonous life. Huh. That there, there's like, a, like a, a deeper realm, like a spiritual realm. And so ironically, I would say the one good thing that drugs have done for me was that having a hallucinogen, kind of a, a spiritual experience, it made me search for something more search for a way to keep that going. And so as a result, I actually got a book called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. And I had no idea at the time, but it was a classic Zen book. And I remember reading it three times straight through because I needed something. Because at this point, when I was 20, my using has kind of run its course. And that's something I can I can get to in a sec, but I. I was always trying to, with alcohol, marijuana, drugs, I was always trying to fix myself. And I remember I had this thought during my using career, using drugs, that if I have this certain experience, I'm going to figure out my life. <laughs> right? hmm. so, what, what's the certain experience? If I have this like a, an enlightened experience. For example, if I take ecstasy and I have this experience where I can have some insight or have some realization, I thought that it would change my life. I guess it did that with, with hallucinogens. However, it wore off, right? And you feel worse than you did before. Mm. <laughs> so that, that's pretty much my, my using career was that I'm searching for something, but the drugs wear off and you feel worse than before. Did you feel like you were on the like on the edge of getting there? Or you were there, but then when it wore off, it would go away? 
You know what I mean? Did you feel yeah. like you were, you can almost reach out and touch it, but it's not quite there? Um, while I was under the influence, yes. For example, I had an experience with, with mushrooms, and I remember I was hanging out there with my little brother, and I was like, wow, this is a really cool hand. <laughs> and I told I told my little brother, and you know him too, I was like, you're a really good brother. <laughs> you know? But it wasn't like in a cheesy aspect. It was kind of like, like a deeper aspect, like everything right now is okay. And so... Again, I thought if I accumulated enough of those experiences that it would fix stuff, but it doesn't. You and I have a lot alike. Okay. But I will tell you one area where we're different. Yeah. Um, I did mushrooms once, mm -hmm. and I spent uh, three hours hiding in a bush outside of a McDonald's <laughs> drive-thru, so it didn't hit me very well. Yeah, that yeah, sounds horrible. That was pretty awful. Okay. My so friends, I jumped out of a car. And they lost track of where I was, and they eventually left me. And oh, man. it was all good. It wasn't. That, I wasn't far from home. But okay. Well, that can be scary. It, it, at the time, yeah, pa yeah, big time paranoia. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're nowhere close to enlightenment. Not even yeah. close. Well, and let me tell you another story because I was constantly chasing that feeling with yeah. hallucinogens, is that it eventually ended up not working, and I would have those bad trips. And I probably had four or five bad trips. But the thing about hallucinogens, right, is that the trip lasts for a long time. Mm -hmm. So you're basically in paranoia, fear, for hours. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. As you, as you realize when you're outside of McDonald's. Yeah. You know, hiding wish. from who knows what. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> the Hamburglar. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the, the funny thing about drugs is that they, they kind of start innocent enough, but if you continue on that path, it's ultimately a dead end. Yeah. And now the drug wears off, and you have all this anxiety and guilt, shame often, uh -huh. and even depression, and you have to do something about it. And so that's what got me into Zen. So basically, like, fast forward, like, going back to when I was 16... It was alcohol, it went to marijuana, it went to cocaine once I started in college. And then basically everything, like, the consequences started getting bigger. Even in high school, I had the consequences of, um, I remember my dad found pot. He was talking to me about how it's going to ruin my life. And I'm like, whatever, yeah. this feels great. Uh, my mom talked to me. She said, you know, Jason, your grandpa was an alcoholic. I'm like, so what does that have to do with me? I'm drinking. I'm having a good time. And I was also I was in a, a relationship at a time. I was with dating my high school girlfriend. We started dating at around 15, 16. And I was a super a-hole to her. <laughs> I, she should have dumped me a while ago, but... A lot of it was the drinking, the smoking pot. I became so self-centered that it was all about me. Cause arguments and stuff? It wasn't arguments. It was more of this, I was an a-hole. Huh. Like, she, she should have dumped me a while ago. I feel like she tolerated too much bad behavior from me. For example, if, if she came into my therapy office and she told me about her boyfriend, which would be me, I would have told her, you need to dump this dude. Really? Yeah. 
I gotcha. Um, and I remember in high school, there was a embarrassing incident. I was in a high school basketball game, and we were drinking in the car before, and these cops gave me a ticket in front of all of the high school parents, faculty leaving the high school basketball game. So the next day, there's rumors at school, oh my gosh, Jason, you got a ticket, you got arrested. And these experiences would add up. And I remember my high school football coach, he actually caught us drinking. And he asked, Jason, do you have a, a drinking problem? Again, my, my parents expressed concern, my high school football <laughs> coach expressed concern. But what are you thinking in active use? Whatever, you're crazy. Yeah. Right. Well, did you have you have buddies around you that were using at the same rate as you? Yeah, yeah, yeah that they were using at the same rate. Yeah, um, that masks a lot of things. It, it does mask a lot of things. That was our culture. Like I, I didn't really hang out with the football players who were super dedicated to the craft. I hung out with the football players who were interested in drinking and smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like if I really applied myself, who knows? But. The thing about it, like I was too uncomfortable sober, and I think the alcohol was adding to that as well. You know, the the anxiety or the the, fe- the feelings of lack that I didn't want to give it up because it was the only like time of peace that I had. And so then went to college. Um, I actually got a, a football scholarship, and I feel bad for the college that recruited me because um, a year I was gone. I didn't really go to class, drank, played video games, um, quit football. My high school friend, my high school girlfriend, finally dumped me at that time. Okay. <laughs> she she only wanted a day of football player, didn't exactly. she? Exactly. Yeah, care yeah. What kind of asshole you were, but now that you're not playing football, you're out of here. Yeah, hindsight. Now I see. <laughs> <laughs> so my status went down after yeah. I wasn't a football player. Yeah. And uh, then went to Denver, and that's when the cocaine started becoming heavy, and. I remember we had these dudes we used to hang out with named Pablo and Jesus, and uh, they were our, our coke dealers. It was a good time until it wasn't, right? You end up doing it too much. You end up tweaking out, hanging out with shady people. I remember I had this experience of being in my brother's house, and we were doing lines, and this dude started shooting something up. I don't know what it was, but it's like, dang, man. So... This is where my use has brought me. <laughs> you know? You're sitting right next to somebody that's shooting up and you don't even know what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so did you Did you get that same um, kind of euphoric feeling? Because, I mean, hallucinogen, marijuana mm-hmm. and alcohol, I get that. But hallucinogens and then especially cocaine, that's taking you in a totally different direction. I mean, one's an upper, one's a downer. Did it? Did it? Regardless of what the high felt like, did it give you that same um, kind of euphoric, peaceful, this is where I need to be feeling? Well, or did cocaine with, just make you all fancy and jittery? Or, I don't know. Well, yeah, good question. With the cocaine, there's no really, there's no insight. You know, you're, you're most likely not going to have a spiritual experience on cocaine. So my experience with cocaine was it was euphoria. It wasn't that strong, so to speak, and I think a lot of times it's cut with garbage. Mm. But it was a feeling of euphoria, especially when I was drinking. I would drink, and I remember we'd do lines, and the drinking made it so I didn't really care. I wasn't self-conscious. But the cocaine made it so 
I was aware. I had energy. Horrible yeah. combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull with vodka. Yeah, yeah. To the extreme. Exactly. But at the time, like, it, it didn't matter. Like, I just wanted to use anything to make it so I felt different. Mm. You know, I, I, I would be willing to try. I never tried ketamine, but I remember my, my brothers at the time were using it. I would have done it if they would have offered it to me. Mm. I tried ecstasy, never got into heroin, but basically I just wanted to feel different. But what happens as a result there's eventually dead end and i would say my rock bottom would be that i'm looking at myself in the mirror you know i'm all skinny from doing lines my nose is clogged maybe bloody and looking in the mirror and thinking who is this dude <laughs> you know yeah like i was a high school football player um i got a college scholarship even though i pissed that away but it's like i don't want this anymore i want to feel better and so that's when I got into the Zen. I, I didn't know anything else to do. I had those spiritual experiences with hallucinogens and I had a Zen book. And so I looked online and this was kind of like early Google too. And I was like, Zen meditation. First thing that came up was this retreat in Lawrence, Kansas. And so I drove out there for a weekend. Now I know you're committed if you drove to Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, Lawrence, Kansas. I had to do something. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, as they say in AF. Yeah, yeah. And so then I got into Zen, and then I started to feel better. My grades got better. I stopped doing drugs, and I had a better relationship with myself. I started to deal with that anxiety, with that feeling of, of lack that I experienced ever since the seventh and eighth grade summer. However, I never closed the book on alcohol. And I realized that I'm a binge drinker at heart. I would convince myself that I'm doing the Zen practice, I'm doing these meditation retreats, I got this under control. However, I could never just have one or two drinks. I tried that for years. And I remember I would even get drunk after a meditation retreat. I was living at the Zen Center of Denver at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time, and one of the residents straight up asked me, Jason, do you have a drinking problem? <laughs> Were you like, are you my high school football coach? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this meditation. How can I have a drinking problem? But as I, re I, I begin to reflect, this alcohol is getting drunk is not in the true spirit of Zen, right? Like Zen, you're trying to sit with what is. You're not trying to escape via alcohol. So in, in a way, it was affecting my Zen practice. But were you the only guy living in the Zen house that was drinking? Um, there was, at the time, yes, but there was other people in the Zen community, especially the younger people, where we would all kind of drink the same. So it wasn't 100% frowned upon as part of yeah, Zen yeah. practice. Yeah, it, it wasn't, even though there's a precept that we all conveniently um, avoided, dismissed, that says not taking or using drugs or alcohol, or not, not taking alcohol or drugs that dull the mind. It's written into the precepts of Zen. Hmm. <laughs> Because it's, it's not that fundamentally just anything wrong with them, alcohol and drugs, that is. The fact is that it 
is an escape. It can be used as an escape. Uh -huh. And that's what I use it for. Uh -huh. I use it for an escape. With, I'm feeling bad, you know, feeling anxious at a party. Hey, there's a beer. Oh, this feels good. Let's keep doing it. And so that was my problem with alcohol. And then going on with the escape. So I've always had this issue, and, and we've talked about this too, with pornography as well. And I didn't really realize that I had a problem with it until I was in my 30s. Because that wasn't even, as you're young, you know, male. Oh, yeah, of course everyone looks at porn. Sure. It's normal, right? Sure. Until it started causing me problems in my 30s. So reflecting on this now, I think fundamentally I have that addict state of mind, whether it was drugs in my past, in my 20s and 30s, it was alcohol, 30s, it was porn, is that I always, it's always going to be something that I'm going to use to try to, I don't say fill that void, but try to gain comfort when I'm feeling lousy. And porn would, in my 30s, it definitely affected my first marriage. Um, I, I think I told you I was actually looking at porn when I told my wife I was typing a paper and she came up and saw it and was like, oh my God, I, I can't believe you're doing that right now. In the grand scheme of things, you wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, but this was two days after our wedding. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would just spend hours looking at pornography, like hours and hours. And it was kind of like a binge, right? I would spend sometimes two to three days where most of my day I'm looking at porn. I remember I would stay up all throughout the night one time before I was going into my job and it was just like, dang, Jason. And this was always <laughs> at the time when you were feeling bad, feeling bad about yourself or what was going on around you, you needed that yeah. escape? Yeah, it was it – was, almost always due to an escape. Every now and then it was, I would maybe just on the internet and something struck my fancy and I went with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like maybe I was clicking on like, um, I don't know, good, like some stars, maybe like there were some stars and some like, you know, scantily, you know, like stars, dressed. famous people, not yeah, yeah, stars yeah. in the sky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Famous people, yeah. like maybe wearing like something provocative. Sure. And then that would trigger it. Sure. Um, but generally it would be, I'm feeling lousy. So this is what I do to escape. And it's always, I feel like that fundamental now that I'm talking about it, that is my issue. I'm looking for something to ease the pain if I feel like crap. And I think that's almost everyone's issue, right? Yeah, it certainly is mine. Yeah. And so, especially with porn for me now, is that whenever I'm feeling lousy or just feel beat down by life or, you know, like I'm my, <clears throat> maybe my business is not the way where I want it to be at the time, what comes into mind is fantasizing about going online and spending hours and zoning out. But what happens at the end of that? You feel like crap. <laughs> yeah. And 
So that's kind of been my my, my journey. And well, that, that part's important because I think for people who, I mean, everyone, whether they're right or wrong, everyone has an idea of what alcoholism is or drug addiction. But when you talk about pornography, that might be something that's harder for pe some people to get their arms around. But the way you describe it, it's exactly like um, overusing alcohol is certainly for me. And I think for most people, like you said, sometimes you're just doing something and something catches your fancy and it's not this intentional ease the pain thing. Mm -hmm. That's to me, that's like it's Saturday afternoon. I got all my stuff done for the week. And so I crack open a beer or two and I think this is going to be no big deal where it leads is not always very good. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't always drink for instance, because I was in pain, but a lot of times that's why I drank. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's just interesting me to learn of this because it's just another tool, right? Or, or another method of accomplishing the exact same thing that, that the more common addictions that people know about or think they know about, um, how they work. Sounds like mm -hmm. it works exactly the same. Yeah, for sure. And, and what, what happens to when you do use a tool to escape it doesn't solve the problem. In a way, it prolongs it, and you feel worse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like I had to look at this issue because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, yeah. whether that's porn or whether that's alcohol, feeling hungover the next day. And especially with my, my Zen practice, I feel like I have the tools to deal with life. But in a way, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot in order to feel better in the moment at the expense of getting better. And I feel like that's something we always gotta continue to learn mm -hmm. as well. But yeah, that's that's it. Now, at what point, I mean, so I've known you for what, 10 years now probably, yeah. right? Yeah. And at, at one point early on in our relationship, you borrowed a big glass carboy <laughs> from me. Um, because you were brewing beer then, right? Yep. And you were a beer connoisseur. Mm -hmm. That was your, just like me, that was your thing. And like your friends kind of knew you for the fact that you knew a little bit about beer and you brewed your own beer and you like to talk about beer. So how do you, like talk a little bit about how alcohol is causing you pain and problems in your life. But on the other hand, it's, it's, it's not just a tool to escape. It's a hobby in a way for you. And it, I mean, it's something you identify with. You're a beer guy, right? Mm -hmm. Am I describing that right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that being like a like a connoisseur is just a clever way of justifying <laughs> your use. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know any way like any other way to put it, or maybe like it's, I think it's another way to not look at your use. Because exactly what you're saying, hey, I'm just a beer dude, right? Yeah. I like the taste, but every time I would drink, like I'm getting these like, these bombers, as you know, like especially the craft beer, they're seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Sure. And I'm ordering, I'm specifically looking for the ones with strong alcohol, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not doing this fundamentally for the taste. I'm doing this for the feeling. <laughs> and I think that's just a way to to not be honest with yourself. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, yeah, that would that's the excuse. It's more socially acceptable, like if you're a wine sommelier, right? Yeah. To justify your use. Hey, I'm doing this for my job. I'm a, I'm a taster. And so, yeah, I would, I would 
say that <laughs> just uh, just a justification. Well, I think the socially acceptable, what mm -hmm. you said there, that hits the nail on the head of the things that have caused you problems over the years, the things you've used for escape. I mean, in certain circles, doing coke is a cool thing, right? And mm -hmm. when you're in college doing hallucinogens, there's lots of people that'll run down that path with you. But at some point, those people all grow up, right? Yeah. You and I are left <laughs> immature. And the one thing you can do that's not only socially acceptable, it's like, mm. it's the cornerstone of our culture, practically, especially living here in Colorado, you know, the craft beer capital of the world, we've got the largest beer fest in the world that we mm -hmm. host every, I think, September, I think it's coming up. You know, the I, I would think, I know certainly it was the case for me, getting away from that addiction is every bit as much about feeling bad and, and being sick and tired of being sick and tired you've got that challenge to overcome, but you've also got the challenge of the fact that it's everywhere and everyone mm -hmm. you know is doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like back to you at the beginning, the very first thing you talked about going, you know, seventh and eighth grade, you want to be a cool kid. Mm -hmm. Well, if you stop drinking when you're in your thirties and forties and you've got a wife and a kid and a, you live in a neighborhood, like you're not a cool kid anymore <laughs> you know what i mean yeah that it's less it so socially hard. acceptable yeah yeah everybody yeah. everybody does it everybody. Yeah, yeah. okay so like so you're saying like it still is socially acceptable but if you like look honestly at yourself you're a family man but you're still going at it pretty hard is that what you're saying well yeah i'm i'm all i'm just saying that's an extra layer of difficulty mm -hmm. to rid yourself of that when you oh, decide yeah. it's time to sure. rid yourself of it for sure i mean if you if you're hanging out with your neighbors at the neighborhood barbecue and you're like, hey, um, I've decided to stop looking at porn and you're, you know, 38 years old, your buddies will probably be like, yeah, all right. Well, blame me. <laughs> you got a wife and a kid. I got you. But if you're like, I decided to stop drinking beer, they'd be like, what? Mm -hmm. You're going to do what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially, I mean, you know, being known as the beer guy. You still, once you stop, there's a lot of inertia mm -hmm. going in the favor to drink. Hey, man, I got this one beer from a so-and-so brewery in Oregon. Yeah. We need to give it a try. It's like, oh, yeah, actually, man, I, I don't drink anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I luckily, had, that wears out. Dude, I had a period where, you know, every time you do somebody a little favor or you help them move a piece of furniture or you watch their kid because they, their babysitter bailed on them or whatever – they bring you a six pack, no matter what it was. Every because you're known as the beer guy, right? Mm -hmm. So anytime you do anything for somebody, they bring you a six pack. <laughs> and at the, when I quit, I didn't turn them down for a long okay. time. I, I had a, I had quite a, I had a better beer collection when I was sober <laughs> than I did when I was drinking. Cause, yeah. Because I didn't drink them. Not I'd, drinking. I'd, I'd look for like we had it. We actually had a neighborhood block party, and I brought mm -hmm. them all up, and dumped them in the cooler, and <laughs> thankfully they went away. Nice. nice. And now nobody ever brings me beer anymore, which is good. That's yeah, helpful. that is good. I mean, that that's what happens. And then no one asked me about trying the new beer with them or the double oak-aged IPA. Oh, you're singing my song, brother. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like talking about, we didn't talk too much about sobriety. And, and it's the whole reason we're doing this as well. And, and you'll discuss it when you share your story. But the sobriety piece, now that I'm sober... And I have, I don't want to say closed the, the gate for alcohol, um, pornography as an escape. You, for me, you appreciate life more. 
you are going to go to parties and you're not going to be as comfortable. That's just what it is. And you're gonna, you may be anxious, but your day-to-day -day life, I have found, is, is so much better. I feel more effective at my job. I feel I appreciate my, relation, my close relationships better. I appreciate my wife. I, it has helped my Zen practice. So it's not as glamorous and it may not be quote unquote as fun, but for me, it's a much better way to live. Like again, if I could have one or two drinks and be a casual drinker, then hey, I, you know, that would be nice, but I'm not. If I leave that door open and I have one or two drinks, it's gonna turn into seven or eight. And then I'm gonna be hungover, I'm gonna feel like garbage. <laughs> well, side note, one of the reasons I, I think my wife wanted me to quit was not necessarily like being mean or belligerent when I was drunk, but how I'd feel the next day. <laughs> I'd feel so bad because I feel like, because I, I wanted to be sober, like I want that sobriety and I feel like I'm missing my day being hungover. I just loathe being hungover. So we talked about using, we talked about wanting to get away from it, we talked about the the last two pieces, the alcohol and the pornography that were mm -hmm. the hardest to get away from, or or they were last at the very yeah. least, right? Yeah. But what about the actual transition from, what about that, okay, rock bottom, it's time to be done. What, was that excruciatingly difficult? I mean, I, I found early sobriety to be hell mm. on earth. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, for me, I feel like I've been, and this is gonna sound, I don't know how it's gonna sound. I'm gonna say it sound ironic, but maybe sound disingenuous. I feel like ever since I started Zen about 16 years ago or so, that that started my path to recovery, even though I was still drinking. I know that doesn't sound right, like someone a traditional 12-stepper will give me crap for that. But I feel like I've always been working on trying to feel better ever since I started Zen. So in a way for me stopping, it was, it was long overdue. I feel like I was finally able to settle into my Zen practice more. So for me, like I felt better actually. Hmm. Um, I remember talking to, and we even talked about AA, but I remember talking to my sponsor and I said, man, this is really hard. <laughs> so maybe I'm seeing it through uh, rose-colored glasses now that I reflect on it. I don't know. I guess like with me, I wanted it so bad that the fact that it was hard, a little bit harder in the beginning, it, it didn't matter. Like I, I wanted sobriety really, really bad. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of that's that's my story. Like I, I hope it can be helpful. I really look forward to hearing your story too. Yeah, a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. So okay. I look forward to my turn to share. Awesome. Well, that's great if you hung in with us to the end here. Thank you for listening to our second episode of the Untoxicated Podcast. And uh, we'll uh, get our act together and get the next one, next episode dropped. I think that's the lingo, right, Jason? That yeah, the drop. episode drops. Yeah. We'll get the next episode dropped here in the next little bit. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>